for making me wait. I still want ten more names. What are you doing, Carby? Praying? To God? It's all right, Father. I'll let you pray. Because I know something. You see? God isn't here today. It's the Popcorn Digest with Gareth and Andy. Popcorn Digest. Hello and welcome to Popcorn Digest, the podcast about the films you love and some you don't. I'm your host, Gareth Green, and joining me as always is my full-time co-host and part-time soul cleanser. Yes, he's the toilet doctor demons himself, Andrew Raphael. Motherfucker! I thought you were going into freestyle rap then. (laughs) (laughs) And today we're spending time with the film so nice they made it twice, as we take on not one, but two Exorcist prequels. That's right, Morgan Creek took one look at Paul Schrader's Dominion (laughs) and called the only man they knew that could salvage this interesting but flawed meditation on man's evils and post-war faith. Deep Blue Sea's Rennie Harlan. (laughs) (laughs) But do either of these films light the way to God? Or are these demons just too much for our souls to bear? Find out after the trailer. Mother, what's wrong with me? What an excellent day for an exorcism. Father Marin. How do you know my name? sent here to search for the origin of a powerful evil. This place, it's cursed. You ever seen anything like it? It's a church. Churches were built to exalt heaven. But this, the weapons are pointing downward. This is the spot where Lucifer fell. There is something here, something evil. Do something like this. He's coming for you. Yeah, my cry. Do not abandon me now. God is not here today. By the sign of this holy cross, by our Lord Jesus Christ, commands you. It's in you. Stella Skateboard stars as young Father Merrin, an ex-priest haunted by his past deeds, which is entirely unusual for a priest. Now a bitter archaeologist, Merrin is tasked with helping a group of racist stereotypes unearth a temple that may have links to an ancient evil. No, not Rupert Murdoch, the other ancient evil. (laughs) (laughs) 
Horrifying chaos ensues as men turn on men, committing evil acts of depravity against each other. And that's just what happened behind the scenes. Ultimately, Father Merrin struggles to reclaim his faith in these, the most damaging films the Catholic Church have been involved in since Spotlight. <laughs> so, Andy, Exorcist, The Beginning and Dominion. Yeah. So we have two films here, really. They are the same film. Two films, one story. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. They are the same film, but they're not. This yeah. is a very grand experiment, really. Mm, yeah. So what is your experience with these exorcist prequels have you seen them before is this your first time going at them yes i've seen them before i think with you maybe was, around yeah. oh i'm trying to think now it might have been about 10 years ago maybe around that time yes. anyway and i think we watched them both in one night and we watched them in release order which is the order i would recommend watching them because i would you can put all the pieces together where you can see that's what they released that failed. They released the initial version, and you can see where why they wanted to change it. But that also has its own interesting history in of itself. But I think this is... I don't know whether there's anything else to compare this to as such, because I imagine this has happened a fair few times, but I think the main difference is that usually the initial version that gets scrapped and retooled or completely reshot never sees the light of day. Yeah, I think this happens every week in Marvel. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is, like, common. Those guys are used to reshooting 90% of their yeah. films. <laughs> One of the only examples I can think of is maybe something like Justice League, but I think that's still a little bit different because with that film, it's still more of a similar story. And also, footage-wise, there's more shared footage where you can see where it's been taken from either version of the film. And also, they had enough money to actually finish the second version of the film. That's exactly what I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Just for example, say a film where this is probably, you could probably do this, but hasn't happened, is say something like Solo, a Star Wars story, where most of the Lord and Miller version of that film was shot before being abandoned and almost entirely being reshot by Ron Howard. I think there's a couple of bits and pieces in the final version of that film, that's probably Lord and Miller, but probably not very much. Yeah. And you could probably edit a whole different version of the film together with the initial shoot. Although I think the unique thing about these films is that they do actually have two completely separate production periods, two completely separate shoots. You're not talking yes. them picking it up a few months down the line. It's like a year gap in between each film. Yeah. Thank God they didn't strike the set. Oh. As they normally do. <laughs> That's really weird, unless it's a standing set that's been used for loads of things. I mm -hmm. really don't know. Well, I do know that the set that they used for the opening Nazi scene, well, I say it's the opening Nazi scene, it is the opening scene in Dominion of Father Merrin's uh, confrontation with the Nazis. That was a set that was a holdover from Gangs of New York. From Chinatetta. Yeah, so yeah. they clearly kept their hands on that. And if you're interested in filmmaking and production problems and all that kind of stuff it, it is definitely a, a must see yes although it is difficult to compare them because i would say the beginning for better or worse is a complete film it is a finished yes, film yeah. just <laughs> yeah. whereas i think the best way to look at dominion is as a work print yeah 
It's far from finished. Yeah, so it is difficult to compare the two, but you can see the thinking anyway. But yeah, definitely a must-watch if you're interested in the process of filmmaking and these kinds of decisions because mm. it's all out on the open, whereas usually it's it's locked behind closed doors. So yeah, mm. it's definitely very fascinating anyway. Very fascinating. And I think that's the thing I respond to most with these films is that although even at their best they're quite flawed, they're also this grand experiment that you just don't get with cinema. You just don't get studios opening the doors and allowing audiences to peek so thoroughly behind the curtain like they have done here. Mm. And I would say also as well, in terms of the experiment, it's also a very strong representation of what horror used to be and what horror was in the noughties. Yeah. Which way it had gone and how much it developed because you have one version of the film which is very much a a talky, no-thrills, psychological horror. And then you have the Rennie Harlan version which is all flash. Which is clearly what Morgan Creek wanted. Mm. But you really get a sense of the different styles of horror and what was more popular in terms of what the studios thought was more popular in the noughties, what they wanted more of. Yeah, yeah. That's what I like about these. I was actually, um, back when this film was released, I was actually, like, hugely looking forward to seeing this version, especially when it was the Paul Schrader version, because I've always felt that there was a story in Father Merrin's first confrontation with Pazuzu, and not even in the most, like, obvious way. I would say because in The Exorcist, my favorite scenes are the archaeology scenes, the finding the little Pazuzu head and things like that, knowing that he's going to be facing this thing again. I like my horror films with this sense of discovery, like an ancient evil. It kind of explains as well why I love Alien so much, is because, you know, you get the sense that you're discovering this genuinely alien artifacts. The derelicts is like a temple, and... The original scripts obviously had more of that. But that's what I like about these films. I like these unknowable ancient evils and histories and lore that go into that. It makes it feel bigger whilst also having a really focused story. So the idea of exploring this again, it really kind of like piqued my interest. However, obviously the film hit very well publicised bumps in the roads. Yeah. And we ended up with the film we did, which I went to the cinema to go to see as well. I had a good laugh with it. I didn't like it. <laughs> At that time, I could never foresee them releasing the Paul Schrader version, although people had seen it, people like um, Roger Ebert. And I think even Mark Commode had seen it. Yeah. He, I think they were two very vocal supporters of the Paul Schrader version. And I never thought that we'd ever get to see it. So when it came out, I got my hands on an ASAP and watched them both back to back. Yeah. So that's my like experience with these films. They are films that I actually go back to. I wouldn't say often, often, but like once every five years, I'll watch them. And I always watch them in tandem. I never watch them separately. I think you're right. That's the way that you've got to see them because they paint a picture. Both of them are incredibly interesting because of the picture that they paint. Yeah. So, I mean, how did we end up in this situation with <laughs> with two versions of what are essentially supposed to be the same film in Morgan Creek's eyes? And I guess it's time for us to go through some context to lay down some groundwork for what happened with these films before we get into whether we like them or not. Yeah, so in 1997, Morgan Creek, who had made the previous film, The Exorcist 3, had some sort of success with a, a screenplay 
written by William Wisher Jr., who had co-written Terminator 2. So they go forward with that. Sounds like it was a much more less prestige affair because they hire Tom McLaughlin, who directed Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. <laughs> Which kind of gives you an idea of exactly what they were expecting from a film titled The Exorcist Now. So yeah. Yes. <laughs> Let's turn this into the next Friday the 13th. Yeah. Although nothing seems to happen with that, and another few years pass. It's never really been completely confirmed, but it seemed like John Frankenheimer was originally on board to direct the film. Yeah. And the script was revised at that point by uh, Caleb Carr. And Liam Neeson was attached to play Father Merrin. <laughs> I get the thinking behind having Liam Neeson as Father yeah. Merrin. Because he's got a kind of like steely-faced look about him. But that's a miscast for me. Oh, yeah. Or well, I think Stellan Skarsgård is a much more appropriate figure. Because yes. I kind of see Stellan Skarsgård as the modern-day Max von Sydow. Anyway, a hundred percent. He really is like same background, same kind of film history. Yep. The roles that he does, the fact that he's Swedish, um, <laughs> everything about him just screams Max von Sydow, the next generation. So yep. <laughs> that's a series. <laughs> <laughs> he's um, and as well, like and like you say, in terms of the films that he chooses, he can do schlock. He can yeah. do art house. He's got a background in both. He's a guy that can do a bit of everything. He can do huge budget films, obviously, we've seen recently with June as well. Yeah. That's apt casting. That's really hits the nail on the head. Liam Neeson, less so. Can you imagine The Exorcist being delivered in the same way that the Taken monologue is? <laughs> I will find you, Pazuzu, and I will kill you. <laughs> I have a particular set of skills uh. given to me by God. <laughs> uh. He stabbed Pazuzu in the leg with a knife. Yeah. <laughs> Frankenheimer was forced to step down because his health was declining and I think he passed away not long after. So at this point, the film is taken over by Paul Schrader, which is an odd decision in itself because he, even going from... Um, you've gone from Tom McLaughlin to John Frankenheimer yes. to Paul Schrader. It's like they're going... More and more art house. Yeah, yeah, with every step. <laughs> yeah, and it's a bit of a weird decision, really, because just trying to look at Paul Schrader, because his filmography is a bit weird. Yeah, and you can't really get a grip of Paul Schrader as well, because he goes through these periods. Like, for example, recently, we've just been through a period of him making director DVD Nicolas Cage starring movies yeah. for a little while, like Dog Eat Dog and Dying of the Light. People had written him off at that point as, oh, he's just the guy that does those kind of films. And then suddenly he's back with First Reformed, The Card Counter, and what's coming up recently is Master Gardener, yeah. which is supposed to be like his existential modern-day trilogy kind of thing. And suddenly he's refound this mojo. And it's like, when you look at the films in the 90s that he was making, which obviously would have been a lead-up to Dominion, I can't see what they've looked at and gone, yes, that's why he's the guy that we need. They must have known what they were getting when they hired Paul Schrader. Yeah. The only thing I can think of is that he was still very much associated with Scorsese at that point because he'd um, most recently written Bringing Out the yes. Dead. Do you think they looked at the title of Bringing Out the Dead but didn't see the film and decided, hey, he's, he's used to these these horror films with a... Yeah, even though it had been a little while. I think this is something we don't think about now 
is the fact that how quickly time passes and we think of, oh, the 80s being ages and not associated at all with the 90s, but when you actually think about it in real time, yes. yeah, not much right. time has passed. So even at this point in the early 2000s, you're still thinking, oh, this guy wrote Taxi Driver, he directed Cat People. Cat People, yeah. And he's still had a long association writing films on and off for Martin Scorsese. So on paper, this seems to make sense. And also, oh, it might give us a bit of prestige that we're looking for. Yes, yeah. It seems like it, it took an awful long time even to get this initial version together. And it was actually originally called Exorcist The Beginning anyway. The title Dominion prequel to The Exorcist came way after and when yes, that film yeah. was being prepared for its release. So it was actually going to be called Exorcist The Beginning from the start. And principal photography on Trader's version of the film began on the 11th of November 2002 in Morocco with uh, Vittorio Storaro handling cinematography duties. Who many will know is like Apocalypse Now. Yeah. He's a quite famous Italian cinematographer. I recently watched The Conformist. Cinematography-wise, it's just breathtaking. A, a very strong cinematographer there. And yeah, they spend six weeks in Morocco and two months in Rome at uh, Cinecetta. And the filming wrapped in February of 2003. And apparently by that point, six writers had contributed to the screenplay and the budget had nearly doubled. I think at this point, the budget was around $35 million. And they ran a cut of this film, which as a work print ran to 130 minutes, not long after filming had wrapped. And the studio, I'm not sure who exactly, but either Morgan Creek or Warner Brothers just decided that they did not like it at yeah. all. I believe from what I read that it was Morgan Creek. It actually came from the head of Morgan Creek. <laughs> yeah, Schrader frames it as this, that it was almost a studio in a state of buyer's remorse because they'd spent so long developing the screenplay and he'd been quite faithful to the screenplay when he shot the film and then suddenly they don't like it. And it's yeah. like, I just gave you what you've been developing and you don't like it sort of thing. So um, they just wanted to have it re-edited, the dreaded reshoots. Yeah, but I mean, from the sound of things, it, Schrader was very much on board with the idea yeah. of reshoots and what, what the film needed. And even back then, it still wasn't uncommon for films to go in for some reshoots for a couple of weeks of punch-up. It's something that Ridley Scott's always done with his films. And it wasn't unheard of, but I think he didn't appreciate just how big the situation was in terms of the eyes of Morgan Creek. They'd seen this and just saw something that was completely irredeemable. Yeah, and it sounded like from that point onwards, that version of the film was doomed because I think in Morgan Creek's mind, they just were like, we wanted that film, we looked at it, we actually don't like it. If you want something more modern and gorier and scarier and all that kind of stuff that you get with a modern horror film. And it just sounded like from that point onwards, the mix between the studio and Schrader just wasn't working. And there seems to be a lot of back and forth of trying to get the film reshot and re-edited with various editors and stuff. And it just resulted in the fact that Schrader was fired in August of 2003. And they yeah. started looking for a new director in October of that year. <laughs> Who else but Rennie Harlan? Yeah, well, it sounded like they were looking at a few different kind of directors. And Rennie Harlan just became 
the director by accident. I think he was must have been doing something else at the time, and I think they just asked for his opinion. He watched what had been done, and I think he literally said, hey, the film's not very good, bro. <laughs> I guess I couldn't think of something better to do. So he gave a few suggestions, and he actually suggested that this film wasn't redeemable and that the best thing to do this is when he wasn't committed to directing it he just thought the best thing to do with this would be just to scrap it and start again just reshoot it from scratch and the studio went okay do you want to do it that kind of thing he was like oh okay <laughs> yeah i'm not doing anything right now <laughs> so almost unheard of because even with other films that have had this issue like we were saying before they usually cobbled together with the original shoot with a lot of reshoots Yes. Whereas yeah. this is a case of, ah, we're going to get rid of that version of the film. Let's start the film again. And they retooled the uh, screenplay initially with our good friend Skip Woods. I don't know what his... Um, he's not credited on the final version of the film, so I no, don't know he what he actually um, did. But he is this kind of guy. He's, oh, he's involved yeah. with so many of these type of films, and especially around this area. This is like peak Skip Woods. Yeah. The final version of that, uh, the retooled film's screenplay was written by Harlan himself and Alexi Hawley. It says on Wikipedia that Skarsgård was the only cast member retained from the original shooting. Now, that's not true because not true, yeah. there's uh, several cast members. I think Andrew French, who plays Tuma, and Julian, Julian Wadham, who plays Major yeah. Granfell. Oddly enough, Ralph Brown is credited on Exorcist at the beginning as being playing Sergeant Major, but I did keep my eyes peeled, but he's definitely not in that version of the film. No. He may be in like a wide shot somewhere. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think there's a couple of little establishing shots that may have been reused, but that's about it. Yeah, those three main actors were retained. Everyone else was recast either. Some people say they didn't decide to go back out of loyalty to Schrader, but I think most of the cases would have been just scheduling because we were talking it's like a year on now mm-hmm. and people would be involved in other films. I mean, the big recasting is probably, like, uh, Gabriel Mann. I imagine he would have been doing something like Born Supremacy or something Born, like that. yeah, I think he actually was. But he has, like, got a career in Hollywood as being the almost guy. Yeah. When you look at the list of films that, like, he got to late-stage auditions for, that is quite extensive. Yeah. <laughs> it's like almost like what Henry Cavill had in, like, the 90s and early noughties when he was, like, screen testing for everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah they start shooting at the end of 2003 basically a year after the previous version of the film had started there was an incident two weeks into production where Rennie Harlan was struck by struck a... by lightning oh no <laughs> yeah <there we> struck <laughs> by a, a car and his leg was shattered so he spent the rest of the shoot directing in crutches and after another 12 weeks early in 2004 they were done and it was actually released on the 20th of August, 2004, and the film was finished just days before. And the combined budget of both films together came to 90 million or over 90 million. On Wikipedia, at least, it said it's the budget for this version of the film is 50 million. And then yeah. if you add the, the 35, you're talking about sort of 90 to 95 million yeah. being spent on both versions of the film. To be honest, I would have rather Morgan Creek looked at Reading Harlan's version and gone, 
oh no, we don't like this. We're going to hire another director. <laughs> We're going to give him another another thirty five million. He's going to do another version, and they just kept doing that every year until for the rest of their history. Yeah, like I wish it was still in production now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a version every year made. Yeah, <laughs> it's like a tradition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, every director in Hollywood has to draw their name out of a hat. It's like, oh, what are you doing? Oh, I'm I'm directing the people to the exorcist. <laughs> it's, it's like jury duty. You have to do. Yeah. It. <laughs> I've been gone. I've been summoned. <laughs> if you're a member of the Directors Guild, it's like part of your thing that you may be asked to direct the Exorcist prequel at some point in your career. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's like uh, at the moment it would be Justin Lin's The Exorcist prequel is currently in production. Uh, Louis Leterrier. Uh, <laughs> Brett Ratness. <laughs> yeah, to be honest, Justin Lin was just a bit too high for that, like, uh, staple, Zach wasn't Snyder's. It really? There we go. That's the one that everybody will want to see. David Gordon Green. Oh, no, he actually is doing one. Okay. Yeah, that's a weird one. I've got questions about that later in the uh, in the episode. Yeah. This version of the film was released in August 2004, and it doesn't do very well. No. Shocker. <laughs> Shocking everyone worldwide. But yeah, it doesn't do very well. No. To the point where Morgan Creek and Warner Brothers decide to do the unthinkable. They decide that, oh, let's look back at that original version that we rejected and um, let's ask Paul Schrader to come back in there. Finish this version of the film. We can do a little limited release, maybe get a little prestige from that. But um, yeah, you've got $35,000 to finish the film. <laughs> yeah, you had $35 million to begin with, and now you've got $35,000 to finish it for post-production and no reshoots. Yeah, you can't have any reshoots. You've got about 10 quid to spend on CGI. Which, to be fair, with those hyenas, they do nail. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like what they decided to do with the hyenas in this version is, because there are CGI hyenas at one point, and they are very poorly realised. Mm. I feel like because of the way that they move, they decided, all right, listen, we've not got that much money, so they're only going to move once every three or four frames. Yeah. Because they're very, like, they've just got this kind of, like, jittery motion. It would have been better if they just did it, like, the Simpsons Poochie style, where they just had them drawn on, like, a transparent layer of film and just had them, like, bob onto the screen. (laughs) And the crazy thing about this whole debacle is the fact that they decided to do this so quickly after the release of the initial version because the Exorcist the beginning was released on the 20th of August and it's you're talking September so you're talking weeks after the release of the initial version of the film that Morgan Creek reached out to Schrader to try and get his version of the film finished but yeah you've got $35,000 not much time there was no money to have any ADR so it's just production audio they couldn't bring Vittorio Storaro back to perform the colour timing, so they had to just guess. You can't have an original score because there's either there's no time and there's no money. So it's pieced together from three different composers. It's there's a bit of music done by Angelo Badlamenti. There's music retooled from the initial version of the film that was done by Trevor Rabin. And then the final 20 minutes were scored by... Dog Fashion Disco? I don't know. For some reason, in Dominion, the prequel to The Exorcist, like I say, a meditation on the evils of man and a loss of faith in a post-World War II world, it suddenly finishes with like a metal song as well. Yeah. Uh, which is just very strange with 
it seems like it's been it's it's got clips from the the audio of the film and the song itself as well, which that feels like something out of a director DVD. I mean, this is a director DVD movie, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. I think it was originally intended just to be released on DVD, but they decided to give it a, a limited theatrical run. Very limited, yeah. But yeah, the post-production of this just seems like a right dog's dinner. Yes. Pun intended. <laughs> so, this version of the film made $251,000. Yes. Great job. <laughs> Great job, everyone. We did it. <laughs> I mean, to give just slightly more context around the time that this was released... We are, like, right in the middle of the special features boom yeah. of the noughties when DVD was well into its, like, being a thing. The Lord of the Rings extended cuts had changed the game in terms of studios deciding that every film had to have a special edition or a director's cut. There had to be something else to market the DVD as well. Yeah. And originally, this was intended to be released as a bonus feature on yeah. the Exorcist, the beginning dvd release but they decided to give it its own separate release i think because paul schrader as as well had managed to drum up a minor amount of publicity with some prominent critical figures by screening it personally to them release the schrader cut yeah so we had this release the schrader cut (laughs) yeah i can just imagine roger ebert in a picket line with a little with a little banner saying release the schrader cut (laughs) but i remember watching this for the first time immediately after watching the beginning as well and my dad who is a huge exorcist fan was it any good and i'm like uh, well um um, uh, if you if you just if you look at it like this and then he watched it and immediately was like what is this shit (laughs) like (laughs) because he I don't think either of us realised just how unfinished this film was going to be on release. It was not yeah. communicated to us that this was truly an unfinished film, right down to like the title cards and that kind of thing. Yeah, it, it screams DVD special edition money. Yes. The money yeah. didn't even come from the film arm of the studio. It came from the home entertainment division kind of thing. That brings us really up to date with the context. So I'll say what we're going to do is it's going to be difficult to separate the two and to talk yeah. about one without talking about the other. That is the story of these films. We will try and divvy up the conversation to give each film breathing space, but I would say expect the conversation to dip back and forth quite often. Yeah. yeah. So, Andy, what is your opinion on these films first? I was trying to think of my initial feelings on watching the film a while back, and I think when I watched it with you the first time, I think we were like, ah, the first one's... Yeah, it's a bit schlocky and naughty's horror and all that. And yeah, this Schrader version, although it's unfinished, it's a more cerebral, contemplative version of the film. And I think we came out of Weird that as well. being slightly more favourable to Dominion. But on this rewatch, I kind of have to swing back Ooh. the other way. Not that the beginning is great or anything, it's still pretty bad. But I think for me, it's just for the unambitious boxes that it has to tick, it does them fine. And it's unfair to judge them because we can't really judge Dominion against it because it's not finished. Yeah. I can give the beginning props because I think it has some level of pace to it. I think some of the character arcs in the film are a little bit clearer. And yeah, I mean, it's not a very good Exorcist film. But if you just look at it as a 
early noughties horror film. It does its job perfectly fine. It's just yeah. not remarkable in any way. And you do get the feeling that because of this um, rushed reshoot schedule, that half of it's filmed on a pub car park. So, yeah, <laughs> there's like a pit set in the film and it's reused so much and you can tell yes. that it's like, yeah, this is just done in the studio parking lot. Yeah. I think both films have strengths and weaknesses, but I think as a as a viewing experience, the beginning has an edge, although, again, it's not great. It's incredibly naff at times. It feels very reshooty. I think even when we watched um, The Predator, which is maybe another film we'll do on here at some point, but it reminded me of that when they, you know, when they reshot the yeah. whole ending and it's like done in a quarry. This has the same kind of feeling. And it's really goofy. It's a bit naff. Yeah. It's like we managed to rebuild some of the set in Rennie Harlan's garage. Yeah. So <laughs> we're shooting there. I think on the whole it works better than Dominion, but it's still pretty shit. <laughs> so, yeah. Whereas Dominion has some interesting things but i think the the script itself and the approach is ultimately flawed and there's also a couple of things where i actually think some of the swap outs that they did for the later version of the film were actually better so yeah that's kind of my feeling on their films and again it's very difficult to compare them because dominion is so unfinished but i still think there's a couple of things in the beginning where actually I genuinely think they might they did other things worse and improved others. It's it's you're talking mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah well the problems are very different with each film. So it's difficult. But I think watching it with Jess, she definitely preferred watching the beginning version and she wasn't really engaged with the Dominion version of the film. Okay. Which is understandable. I mean as well, like you have to be a certain type of person, I think, to view Dominion on its own terms as well. Because of just how drastically unfinished it is, it feels like a very dry experience watching that film because, as you say, it's lacking a score, it's it's lacking a real, like, colour grading. It's lacking a lot of even things like second unit footage of, like, establishing shots, mood-setting shots, that kind of thing. The film often cuts between in-conversation shot in one location to an in-conversation shot in another location where clearly there was supposed to be some sort of lead-in between that hasn't been used or filmed or was inappropriate. But I would say that on this particular watch, I'm actually quite shocked at that, but I completely... I understand where you're coming from, and I do understand that The Exorcist, the beginning, is a complete experience. It's a finished film. As you say, just. Just. (laughs) Even though it does turn into, like, at the very end, the CGI goes way too far. It even looks like they have, like, a side-scrolling bit where the possessed woman is running down the cave, and it looks like a side-scroller, the way that they (laughs) shot it, like, side-on. It looks like Super Mario. But, yeah, so I completely understand that, and I completely understand that to most audiences, this is going to be the one that, although shit, is still the... (laughs) the the version that people respond to most because it's complete it's complete shit you might say yeah but i would say in my opinion of dominion has actually improved over the years Mm. i didn't hate it when i first saw it but i was still like this is very flawed and i still believe that it's very flawed but it's still the version of the film that i think could have been very truly salvaged 
Mm. And the reason for me is that although the beginning, as we say, does feel like a more complete experience, I would say that Dominion has a more complete script in that, for example, it feels far more focused in terms of what Father Meron's past means to his confrontation with Pazuzu, for example. Mm. The flashback in Exorcist the Beginning with Father Meron and like his followers in... The, what's the name of the town? I forgot the name of the town. I don't know if it's ever... But anyway, the, the flashback is yeah, that... Yeah. In the second, and this is for both films. In the Second World War, Father Meron has a confrontation with Nazi soldiers who demand that, in retribution for one of their soldiers being killed, Meron must point out ten people from his from his flock in order to be executed. And this is the thing that haunts him. In the beginning, it haunts him in a very obvious apocalypse now way, even to the point where they have like Vittorio. Storaro repeating shot for shot scenes like from Apocalypse Now. Yeah. But that's the setup for both films. I would say that in the beginning, it's more dressing. It's more like an excuse to have Father Merrin sit in a room and drink and go, ah, you know, for a bit. Whereas in Dominion, he's much more subdued in his approach that he's clearly lost his faith. But that background, that flashback is far more intrinsic to his confrontation with Pazuzu than it is in the other film. The fact that his temptation, his the thing that Pazuzu tries to win him over is by absolving him of his guilt for what happened then, something that God, in his eyes, has refused to do. That feels like it brings the film far more full circle, making that far more interesting a plot point than it ever did feel like before. Again, though, it's just the presentation of that that really mm. just kind of makes me feel that it's there are scenes around there that I would completely like utterly reshoot. Yeah. But it feels more exorcist. And it feels I would say that in Dominion, Merrin feels more like Merrin. He doesn't seem to me to be the kind of person in the Exorcist who would be in this kind of drunken stupor, this visibly angry this feels yeah. more like the merin that we know in dominion yeah <laughs> well that's why i say like the merin in dominion is more has more of a i mean that the film in general has much more a strong relationship with say the prologue of the exorcist than the beginning does the beginning is just doing its own thing which is why i say you have kind of have to look at that film as its own self-contained noughties horror film yeah as an exorcist film it's very poor but if you look at it as a as a self-contained Naughty's horror film, it's kind of serviceable. Yeah. The Merrin in the beginning is very much like old Indiana Jones. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, I mean, yes. Yeah. Even how they set him up at the beginning of the film. And yeah, it's it is strange though, like because I think yeah, the Dominion version is more subdued, but I think it's more subdued for the fact I think its unfinishedness makes it more subdued as well because you don't have the strong music because the music's mixed right back because they know that the score isn't there because it's been cobbled together. So the music's really quiet. The dialogue's not heightened because it's just production audio. You just have to look at it as a work print, so you kind of have to fill in the blanks with your imagination. Yeah, and just talking about the music, originally it was uh, Michael Kamen was supposed to be, well, he had been selected by Schrader to compose a score to Dominion. Obviously, that didn't happen. And uh, then Christopher Young yeah. was hired shortly before the exec screening that ultimately led to yeah. Schrader being fired from the film. And that's a real shame because I think with the Christopher Young score, 
a lot of these issues would have definitely been ironed out because we all know how crucial music is to a, a film in key moments and when it's not there it really pronounces itself yeah having music not there as as well as being there is just as important but because it's so sort of temp tracked and just slopped in and it's not mixed in very well it, it really does harm the pacing of the film i think yeah and the other thing as well like watching these films together with jess she found the even though the slotting of the flashbacks in the beginning was more contrived she found the actor playing the nazi soldier in the beginning to be much more threatening and imposing than the actor who plays him in the dominion version of the film she didn't yeah. find him very threatening at all which i found quite interesting it is a much more subdued version of that scene like the one in the beginning is the hollywood version <laughs> and uh, yeah the one in dominion is the european version <laughs> I would say. But I would say for me, the reason that that works more, one, I would say the placement of that scene, having it happen straight at the front, centers the film Dominion as being one that is a human story with supernatural evil things happening within it. Whereas the reframing and restructuring in The Exorcist, the beginning, it opens with a shot that feels largely unconnected to the film until the very end. Yeah, yeah. It opens with this shot in in the past of like a great battle scene, like a wasteland after a battle where people have been crucified upside down. Obviously, as you say, it's a big Hollywood opening to that, mm. but it kind of like sets the film up as being a film that is specifically about supernatural evil that happens to have human characters in it, mm. which for me, this Schrader version works so much more, especially because of the nature of that scene. Like people feel more like people in it. Oh yeah. yeah it's, definitely. it's less more like, um, like, as you say, Hollywoodized. Even down to the moment, like, the thing that Rennie Harlan did instead was made the focal point of Father Merrin's guilt, the image of a little girl, which is just, like, so contrived in and of itself anyway, especially yeah, in horror films. It's film playbook 101. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Whereas what Strader does, and he doesn't really bring much attention to it. It just is, and it hurts because of this. I, I mean, it hurts me. Like, I, I really felt it is. He makes Father Merrin point out the people from his flock by name. Yeah, yeah. For me, that makes the Nazis far more threatening because they're human. They feel like a human threat. And it also makes it for his, like, Father Merrin, like, what he's done, feel far more real because it ultimately humanizes his crowd as not just being, like, stock World War II villagers. They are friends and family to him. They are his flock. And he's pointing out people by name. These are people that come to his church every single day. And that really hammers at home in a very subtle way. And for me, that's why that works. And also having it straight at the opening as well, that works more for me because it instantly... I always do this. I prefer it when films with these kind of backgrounds just lay it out to you tell you this is why the character is the way he is now you know when sometimes they present mysteries as not being mysteries yeah 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 it shouldn't be a mystery as to why this character is so distraught why he so feels so guilty it doesn't suit his character to have that it suits it more for us to know and for us to be on side of him like it's it's more important to, for us to know why he's lost god uh, yeah. because that's the story that the film's going on to tell and yeah for me dominion does that better but again, I completely understand if that hasn't landed with someone. 
mm. because of the unfinished nature of Dominion. I think it's also the way that it's presented as well because the title cards aren't finished. Even like the establishing shot, it doesn't feel like that was the original intent of it starting with that. Oh, do you mean Dominion? Yeah, it's a real weird comparison because, yeah, the opening of beginning is pretty bad. It's like, it reminded me very much of that flashback in AVP with the aliens. AVP was what I thought of several times during this film, weirdly enough. On that level, Dominion is definitely the better and more subtle and well thought out film. But because of the way it's been put together, it's so wonky in places that it's difficult. It kind of works against it sometimes. You you have to be willing to meet the film halfway. Yeah. I mean, it's not a film that I would even call good in its current. Yeah. But there's more potential there, in my opinion. Yeah. And because it's basically had no post-production, there's a lot of atmosphere that's missing, uh, which would definitely help an awful lot. So, yeah, that's why I kind of have to view this as a work print. It is. It is essentially a work print. Because I would say even the fact as well that in production, Paul Schrader has said that he has recognised that there are bits of this film that needed to be reshot. There were reshoots that were required, probably to point the film up, to make it a bit more... Because I think it's intellectually engaging... It engages on a character on an emotional level, but on a visceral level, something which is still very important to a f- exorcist film, it doesn't engage really at all. No, no. And that's probably where the punch-up was needed. That's exactly what it's lacking. For me, personally, I just find it weird that Morgan Creek didn't see how this could be salvaged, because I, I do think with a good like 30% of reshoots, you could probably get this in a bag yeah i mean i think the issue that i have and this may explain why they had such a hard time in retooling the film is that i'm not 100 percent sure whether the because it's indicative that this is the only part of the film that wasn't retooled or salvaged from the beginning version is the plot line of the boy yeah chi chi character i'm not 100 percent sure that works it doesn't and I think that's the reason why they decided to, or why they took Rennie Harlan's offer of just completely reshooting the film, because trying to retool that, you probably could, but you would have to chuck out an awful lot of material to, mm-hmm. to make that work, because I don't think it works on a um, thematic level either, because I don't think there's enough made of where that character's come from and what he represents. Yeah, I agree. The way he's introduced in the film was a bit weird. He appears on a on a mountainside, and at that point as well, Father Merrin says that he had already seen him before. Yeah. We haven't as the audience. This is our first time seeing him. It seems like there should be a title card that comes up saying, seen missing. Yeah, I just think the relationship isn't strong enough, and that whole part of the film seems so detached from everything else that's going on. And even with that character, there's a real lack of threat a real lack of urgency. Yes. I just don't feel that part of the film works at all, which I think is maybe the reasoning why they decided to just retool the whole thing because it's quite a big part of the film and to have a big part of the film like that not work, maybe just persuade them like, yeah, let's just, let's start again. And I get that, but I think if you reshoot those scenes and bring in an actor that has far more screen presence in that role, 
especially considering what's required of them in the final act in terms of like a, a menacing evil that they're meant to represent. I, I do love the scene in which it presents itself as I am perfection. And we have that shot with the lighting behind it that's a, a visual cue, a visual nod to the exorcist. I like that. Um, but yeah, we have this essentially character who doesn't really have much screen presence that becomes such an integral part to the ending of the film. And crucially, they aren't scary. And also, as much as... I'm willing to meet that film, to meet Dominion, and say that the version of Father Meron in Dominion feels more the same as the one from The Exorcist. This version of Pazuzu does not feel like it's connected at all no. to the version of Pazuzu that we've met in The Exorcist. It's far less playful, far less menacing, far less urgent, as you say. kind of um, takes residence in this temple, in this underground temple, in this cave. And... People seem to allow to go willy-nilly to and from. <laughs> you know, like, for example, it, it has the nurse character, yeah. the French nurse, and has her and it's tormenting her in a, by showing her everything that she could want. And then it just kind of, like, lets her go. Yeah. It's a little bit too wishy-washy at the end. I like the conversation, the back and forth between Merrin and Pazuzu. But again, it's the delivery of it that doesn't work for me. I like that it's a... Because um, that's the thing about The Exorcist as well. I completely understand why it's not the same. I, that's going to be the title card for me. <laughs> I completely understand why the other version is the way it is. But each Exorcist film that works for me, especially like The Exorcist and Exorcist 3, the confrontations in those films, the places where those films work the most, are not in the big scenes where things happen. The Exorcist, there's plenty of those scenes, and those scenes work. But the best scenes in it for me are the ones where it's the quiet conversations with the evil. and. Yeah. They're talking to each other, and it's more of a battle of wills, a battle of intelligence, a battle of of deceit. This at least attempts that. And I think the dialogue for it is there. It's just the performance that isn't, and also the dubbing that isn't. Yeah, This character isn't menacing enough, and the actor doesn't have enough screen presence. It says everything that they're somebody that was picked up. Aren't they like a singer from the Philippines or something like that? Yeah, they're a Filipino singer, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's just a bit weird. But I'm not even sure that works even on a thematic level of him being an outcast and a cripple because we don't know the context of that. Again, it's like how that character's introduced and his relationship to that area. I think it's like Pazuzu preying on the most vulnerable in society. But like you say, thematically, not enough is made of that. Yeah. Like, Because that's why... Reagan's chosen in The Exorcist. Yeah, but I think it makes Pazuzu look a bit weak. Mm, yeah, yeah. In that regard. Because I think even though Reagan's like a child and stuff, it's like, I think the appeal of the original Exorcist is that uh, this could happen to anyone at any point. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it, yeah. That was the horror of it, that this kind of thing could happen in everyday America, modern day, whereas this doesn't really... Do that no with that character there's a lot of things that don't work that impact on each other and because it's such a, a central part of the film effects and unfinishedness aside mm -hmm. that's what really hurts the film okay yeah i get that but i would say as well like to move the conversation to the beginning for a moment yeah yeah i would say as well that that is also why the beginning fails so heavily for me yeah yeah is that it doesn't feel like a human story and also, it doesn't feel like it could happen to anyone. We've mentioned Solo before. I want to mention Solo in a different context. But this also falls into that trap of having to explain everything away from 
the Exorcist as well. Like there isn't a line of dialogue, a prominent line of dialogue from the Exorcist that isn't mined for some like knowing winky reference in the beginning. But also because of like the Indiana Jones-esque nature of this film and because it has this kind of like over-the-top delivery of the information like this is the place where Lucifer fell and all that kind of thing. It's um, it's very over-the-top in that way. But it also feels like this couldn't happen to anyone. This is a Hollywood version of this, you know. It's less horrifying because it feels a lot less real. And Empire Magazine did a very shitty article that was is the exorcist scarier than a cup of tea or something some shit like that where they hook themselves up to a heart monitor whilst watching the exorcist and then hook themselves up to a heart monitor while drinking a cup of tea i was like wow how can you completely diminish the value of what that film offers because it's not about for me the exorcist is not about like the visceral scares it's scariest moments are its quietest scenes and mark commode talks about there being like this great scene the thing that he finds the scariest, and it plays on my mind as well, but it's the... Um, there's a moment where Father Karras sees a homeless man, and he says, Do you sp- got any spare change for an ex-altar boy, Father? And it's just him and that man on their own on a platform for some subway station. And then when Karras is with Reagan, he hears a whisper, Have you got any spare change for an ex-altar boy, Father? And it's the idea that the devil is with them always. It's like, that's just a quiet like repetition, but it's like the idea that even at that moment, the devil was with him. There's no like over-the-top scene where we see like Pazuzu lurking in the background or anything like that. Not like the uh, director's cut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a quiet moment that you might only realise a week afterwards, a second rewatch, third rewatch, and suddenly you go, whoa, shivers. That's the beauty of The Exorcist anyway, because... It's not a horror film anyway, because they don't frame it as being... Uh, I think it's just, they describe it as being a, a theological thriller, I think. Yes, yeah, yeah. But it's one of those films. It's, it's an old-school horror film where it's not upfront about its scariness. It's about the atmosphere and the ideas that it seeds into you, where it mm-hmm. just stays and lingers for a long time afterwards. Just the little things like that in the original version of the film, not the horrible uh, extended version... But the the original theatrical cut where you yes, see Pazuzu yeah. that one time, that image just stays with you. Yeah. Like, I can shut my eyes and it's there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can see it. That's the kind of film that The Exorcist is. Whereas, yeah, the beginning is a complete upfront horror film and the Min doesn't really have anything like that at all. This is a thing to jump into as well for the beginning, but one of my notes I do have to bring up. Was it me or did... Isabella Skorupko's character. Is it me or did her husband in that picture look like Henning Vane? Yeah, he did. <laughs> he did. Yeah. Also, I will give this uh, the beginning props as well for having one of my favourite actors of this type being in the film. It's a, a man who I've met and is every bit the, <laughs> the actor that you um, expect him to be, every bit the character that you expect him to be, and that is Alan Ford. Yeah. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> I think he has my favourite line in the film as well, where he says, do something about my fucking face. Yeah. <laughs> Which is just, like, brilliant. Yeah, there's no subtlety about that character whatsoever. <laughs> no, it's, it's pure brick top. <laughs> Although the equivalent of that character in Dominion is not much better. Those two soldiers yes, yeah. that loot the church are so knees-up cockney. That's a really 
bad part of the film that's completely at odds with whatever you know everything else that's going on. Mm-hmm. It feels very stupid, and I think because it makes the tone of that film inconsistent in that way. Whereas in the beginning, it's more consistent, but <laughs> the tone's quite naff throughout. <laughs> Yeah, it's it, well, they've gone for schlock from the off, yeah. So it's a consistent tone, but it's not a good tone. Yeah. <laughs> the beginning ain't, ain't a good film. It's a terrible no. film, but it's more consistent <laughs> in terms of what it's doing. Yeah, and again, it's, its ambitions are for schlock, and it is yeah. schlock. It's bad schlock, but it's still schlock. It's, it's a less ambitious film, definitely. Yeah. But I think on its own terms, it's a more fun film to watch. I'd say it's an easier film for sure. It's a terrible exorcist film, but it's it's still a bit more fun to watch than Dominion is. But yeah. having said that, there are a couple of things where I do think beginning improves in terms of its swap outs. So I really do think that the swap out of the actresses playing the the nurse character, I think that Isabella Skorupko is better in the beginning than I don't even know what her name is in the in Dominion. Yes, uh, she's a French actress. Clara Bella. That's it. Yes, most famous for uh, being in AI for a couple of shots. Oh, yeah, she played like a robot nurse. A, a like robot that. nanny. I, that's it, yeah. I don't know, I didn't think she was very good in this film, in Dominion. I agree, I think the... Her delivery the was really out. weird and wooden. Mm. She didn't play off Shellan Skarsgård very well. They didn't really have any chemistry. Whereas I felt, even though it's much more contrived and he's not really playing Father Merrin... Like the character Father Marin is completely different, but the chemistry that he has with Isabella Skorupko is it works yeah. much better in that sense. So that's one point to the beginning in terms of what it's doing. All the, and it's much more contrived and naff. But I think the twist of having her as being the one that was possessed is perhaps a little stronger in the context of that film than the the boy is in Dominion, just because that whole conflict in dominion is a bit flat whereas even though it's incredibly naff there's at least some semblance of a twist and a climax in the beginning even though it's not good <laughs> it's, yeah yeah it's uh it's okay you don't have to hide your love for the exorcist at the beginning uh, my friend. it's not it's not good no judgment it, here but yeah i think on its own terms it works better i think it's because it is being less ambitious and it's being much more cliched, and it plays into those cliches, it still executes them in a serviceable way, whereas mm. Dominion is is reaching much higher, but it's really exceeding its grasp. I think that's the difference between the two films. Dominion is reaching to much more cerebral, higher planes, bigger ideas, but yeah. it's not getting there, whereas the beginning has kind of very shitty B-movie ideas, but it's kind of executing them okay. I think yeah. that's the big difference between the, the two films, I think. Yeah, there's one other big difference, I would say, as well. And this is, like, on a... I'm not talking, like, on a grand scale in terms of, like, thematically or in terms of ambition, but um, these films have the actor Julian Wadham in it as Major Granville, and the British do play a part in each version, but in in the beginning, they play a much lesser part in the film than they do in Dominion. I think that's something I would like to talk about for a moment, yeah, yeah. just in terms of the way that this film approaches, the way that the beginning as well approaches the British characters and the idea of the British Empire, I said British Empire again, the <laughs> British Empire having an impact in this world. 
because I do think, unfortunately, Exorcist, the beginning, is far more racist yeah. than, <laughs> than a Dominion prequel to The Exorcist is. The characters in the beginning, in terms of the tribes that are represented, they're very kind of like stereotypically a tribe. Yeah. It all reminds me of a bit like Ace Ventura when nature calls, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it makes it feel more racist by taking away the British Army's representation in that area. I actually like that in Dominion, the actions of the British Army mirror those of the Nazis during the Second World War. This is a film that is very critical of colonialism of the British Empire, and it also plays once more into Merrin's story as well, into his arc within that film. Whereas in the beginning... The kind of like descent into madness by Major Granville. It's like something that happens in about two minutes. Yeah. I wouldn't say that in Dominion that comes to a head in a satisfying way. I mean, that sounds like a pun, doesn't it? Because he shoots his brains out. (laughs) It still needed something more. It still needed something punchier for the ending of that character. But I would say in the beginning as well, by having him just kind of like go insane over like two minutes yeah. <laughs> is overkill but it does a lot like this talking about the beginning yeah in terms of the structure of the film I know that this was written very quickly and I completely get that and this kind of explains one of the issues I have with the story is that there is no story really it's just a series of happenings that are rooted to a location Yeah, I kept thinking that the story was starting in terms of like Meron arrives at this site, he's uncovering this temple, they uncover it pretty early on, and they begin to explore this temple. At the same time, he's also investigating what drove the previous priest who was overseeing the operation, what drove them insane. Or the previous archaeologist, I think it was, sorry, not priest. They kind of bring that story to a head pretty quickly. They show that the previous man's gone mad, he's cut a swastika into his chest, and then he cuts his throat. Yeah. I actually think they nearly hit on something that was very interesting there, which is by making the film an investigation. And the more that Merrin investigates what happened to this previous person, and it brings the confrontation to a head there. Maybe it's too close to the Exorcist 3, but having him like go to the crazy house in Cairo to speak to man who is tangled with Pazuzu prior to him kind of thing. Yeah, I yeah. think it would have felt a lot more exorcist that way and it would have made the film more of like, I don't think they realised what they had when they dispatched of that. And instead we have just like a series of realisations that are just rooted in the same place. For example, the scene in which Merrin suddenly realises that the tribe burn their dead, they don't bury them. There's nothing that motivates that discovery or there's nothing leading up to that discovery. It's just something that happens, you know? Yeah, yeah. I feel like there needed to be a more motivating factor on a beat-to-beat basis, like something that was more like, so this is what the film's about. Yeah, it's a bit of a grab bag of ideas, and I think that's why it is more cliched, because they they have to lean into those cliches because they have such little time to rewrite the film before shooting. Yeah. And the twist of Sarah's character being the wife of the guy who went mad is not very well done, because even when I wrote in my notes earlier that, Shima would know. <laughs> he didn't. Yeah. Shima didn't say nothing. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like it's the fact that it's a revelation. It's like he was your husband. I was like, yeah. Everyone else around here knows. Just didn't yeah. tell you. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 
I think because some of those ideas are a little bit more overt, it does. I think the thing that a beginning maybe does slightly better than Dominion is given the impression that this is a cursed place. Mm-hmm. But again, it does it in a really like cheesy way. I think that's the thing. It does all these things. It's a bit more explicit about certain things, but a bit. It does it. Yeah, it's a lot more explicit <laughs> about things, but it's quite cheesy. So yeah, it's it effectively gets its point across, even if the point isn't that great. Yeah. Whereas Dominion sometimes struggles to get its point across because it's being a, maybe a little bit too subdued, a little bit too subtle, and yeah, there's no forward drive to it. I think that's what's lacking with Dominion, and I'm not sure it's because of some of the things that aren't in the post-production, it's just lacking forward momentum. Whereas at least I can say with the beginning, it has a little bit of drive to it, even if the drive is very naff. Yeah. I would say, like, also, because I was mentioning the tribe before, for me, the beginning as well, by diminishing the representation of the British Empire in this film, it also makes the African characters a lot more secondary. And it presents them in a way in which when you hear other characters and other British characters refer to them as savages, the film seems to be on that side of things as well. (laughs) It seems to be like agreeing, obviously unintentionally, but it seems to be agreeing with them that these are a savage people. You know, because it doesn't it doesn't provide anything to the contrary. No. Whereas at least Dominion, I would say, in terms of its um the way that it approaches people of colour in that film, it at least gives them it gives them a voice in the film. It gives them more of a um, a stronger, more sympathetic voice. These are an oppressed people, essentially. And yeah. they have their own politics, they have their own leaders, they have their own there's more to them than just the kind of like dancing round a fire version of them that's presented in the beginning. Yeah. And I get that it makes it a slower film as well, having those kind of scenes, like especially like having the leader of the tribe as well, talking to their people, talking about the past and what they faced and all that kind of thing, and uh, having it more like politically driven in that way. Also, I can see why Morgan Free uh, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Creek <laughs> looks <laughs> looks at that. I wish Morgan Freeman looked at this. I watched Exorcist the beginning. And <laughs> but yeah, I can get why Morgan Creek looked at that and went, What's this about? But yeah, for me, I would say that at least it's a far less racist film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At least it tries to do more with them and tries to give them a voice. And this brings me back to the beginning with its uh, probably best scene, its most unintentionally funny scene which is the one in which the tribesmen attempt to perform their own little exorcism on the young boy. I forgot his name. Oh, uh, it's Joseph. Joseph, The yeah. young boy Joseph, who everybody believes is possessed by Pazuzu, when actually he's not. It's Sarah. But it's strange that they try to perform this act, this ritual, and it's going to end, we think, with Joseph's death. It's a very over-the-top, stereotypical, tribal ritual, question mark. But the devil actually comes to the boy's rescue? Yeah. Like, the devil saves him, it breaks the fingers of one of the tribesmen and scares them away. Does it kill them? I can't remember. And it made me think suddenly, wait a minute, this devil's not a bad guy. (laughs) He's, uh, He's saving kids. 
it kind mm. of like unintentionally they kind of lost their way for a moment oh, yeah, there definitely and, and, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's where it's like they really try and play hard into the misdirection but then just fall flat on their ass because of it it is strange how these two films have what is essentially polar opposite faults yeah as they well. do yeah <laughs> because with all of that stuff and with the gore, with that man having his uh, fingers pulled back to the point in which they break, we have very gory scenes presented in this film. The reveal of what's happened to Alan Ford's character is yeah. quite quite grotesque. And I would say that that's the thing about the beginning is it's grotesque. It's a very flashy film. Yeah. And it's um, it's not scary, but it's um, anytime it's meant to be, it's all about like the gore and the presentation of the gore. Whereas I think Dominion has the opposite problem, whereas it's far too restrained. Yeah, too restrained and bloodless. Bloodless, and just, yeah. Yeah, lacking in balls, Yeah, I think. Yeah, it's just too laid back at times. The lack of urgency and the lack of threat. Lack of threat is a big one. As much as I like intellectually what the film's going for, I like thematically what it's going for, I feel like it's a more complete character story. The thing that Schrader seems to miss is that the Exorcist, yes, it has all of that, but it's also a visceral experience as well. Yeah, yeah. Like, you look at Reagan, you look at those special effects, you look at the moment, the bed levitating, uh, the help me inside her stomach and all that kind of stuff. It's still a very visceral and strikingly visceral experience in that way. Dominion doesn't have any of that. It's far yeah. too restrained in that way. And that cripples it in terms of the horror as well because that is something that's required for a Nexus film. I think the other thing that all of the sequels missed as like a, a special ingredient as to why the original Exorcist works so well. A masturbating cross scene. Well, yeah, you need that. But <laughs> I think it's the fact that the Exorcist is shot in a very 70s documentary style. Yeah. So it feels more real and grounded, whereas all the films that follow are much more filmy. Mm -hmm. And I think that actually works against some of the execution. Yeah. Because if you think about the original Exorcist, that prologue is done in very documentary style. It could be a Michael Palin travelogue. Yeah. <laughs> And just things like when she's having that blood transfusion and things like that, it's very real, which yes. is when all this other stuff starts to creep into the film. It really does work so much better than if it was done in a really showy, movie way. Mm -hmm. And because these two films, one in a very kind of schlocky, naughty's Hollywood way, and then the Paul Schrader version, it's very, it's trying to go for a more prestige look it's like elegance and classy yeah. kind of like look even though the color grading in my opinion is not there well yeah because they had to guess yeah I, I had a feeling i didn't actually know that prior to this but i had a feeling that they did because it's graded like a tv movie yeah yeah it does feel very tv movie-esque effects aside it feels like that anyway again there's a bit of tv movie acting going on mm. as well i think that doesn't help but yeah, they just don't have that real groundedness and they don't have the atmosphere that's needed. That's the thing, as you say, it's a very documentary type way that The Exorcist has been filmed. And one of the things that I love about that is it was a cutting edge film as well in terms of the filmmaking that they employed. For example, they wanted to have a Steadicam type shot of the characters walking up a staircase. So what they had to do was build a set of the staircase and then have the 
cameraman suspended from the ceiling on a swing holding the camera and they would move the crane with the swing on it so that he could go up the staircase in front of the characters. Yeah. Something as simple as just like a Steadicam shot, that's how they had to do it back then because a Steadicam didn't exist. No. It's like that's how they had to approach it. But all of this is employed in a way to make the camera disappear in the film. Yeah. Most of the time, 90% of that film, the camera is just it's disappeared. You're not noticing. Whereas with both of these versions, I think well, especially the beginning for me, with all of its flash and that kind of thing. It's very much a showy kind of film. It feels almost like a dimension film in that way, you know, where yeah, it's all, yeah, yeah. all flashes, all over-the-top sound effects, it's over-the-top everything, you know, and it's always in your face, like, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And then reference, 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 reference. <laughs> That's also why it fails. I think Dominion falls more into the idea of the camera falling away, but again, doesn't do it as successfully as... The Exorcist, or even The Exorcist 3, in that way. It does have a much more stronger relationship with those films, but it's still not... It's not there yet. Yeah, yeah. it feels very worthy but bland. And when it tries to do something um, a little bit off-kilter, when it starts going all Dutch angles, it pronounces itself. It's like, oh, what are you doing? Yes, yeah. Just to compare it, one of the most unnerving scenes on The Exorcist is when she's up in the attic, and mm -hmm. there's that noise... Yeah. And it's done in a really unshowy way, like it's just proper documentary of her just wandering around the attic. If that had been done in a much more heightened, planned out shots kind of way, telegraphed, it just wouldn't work. Yeah, because you'd see it coming a miles away. Because you feel like you're just with her in real time. Well, you don't know you're being manipulated. Yeah. This is the thing as well. Like, you know, people go on about. Oh, doing like higher frame rates and stuff like that. And it's like, oh yeah, you're really in with the people. You're in real time with the the actors and the scene going on. It's like, yeah, but you've got all this other bollocks going on that, that makes it look worse. But yeah. when you compare it to a film like The Exorcist, which is done in this really unflashy documentary way, that's when that approach works. And it's got nothing to do mm. with your frame rates or anything like that. It's actually about stripping back. The genius of The Exorcist is that it... It presents a stripped back look, but it's not actually, when you look behind the scenes, it's, it's very um, highly orchestrated. Like, yeah. you think you're in a real house, but it's a set. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It makes you think this is real and is happening. It's the effortlessness of it. You don't feel like, it never brings attention to itself in that way to say, look at this. Look at how good the production design is. Look at how good the camera work is. Look how yeah. good the music is. It's all in service of the story, and it all comes together in this kind of like really psychologically unnerving whole. But at no point do I doubt the film's authenticity, despite the subject matter. That's its greatest strength for me, is it yeah. feels authentic. And all it needed was one crazy director with a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a very yeah. famous story that William Friedkin sat on set with a shotgun outside. <laughs> of course. And I feel like Dominion's striving for something and striving for its own identity. It wants to be different from The Exorcist. Yeah. But I don't think it knows how to. If anything as well, it tries to go for the, the whole Exorcist 3 abstract dream sequence and ends up finding... Something that's more David Lynchian as well. <laughs> yeah. Feels like something straight out of fucking Blue Velvet. <laughs> Not even Blue Velvet, like Twin Peaks The Return. Yeah. Again, it might be to do with the post production, but it, it just didn't. I think it is, but yeah. It came across very naff and cheap. It's very like drama school, amateur hour kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs>
Before we do move over to the stats and facts, I've just got some very quick questions for you because mm -hmm. we know that the future of the Exodus series is not over. There is a, a new series of films being made, a new trilogy yeah. of films being made by the same people that did the Halloween films, which, say what you will about those films, there's two of them that give fans exactly what they want and one of them that decided, fuck it, we're going to do something completely different, which I admire. However... I don't know if David Gordon Green is a good match for The Exorcist in terms of his style, but what I want to ask is, what is there to do with this Exorcist legacy sequel? Why is there this um, drive for studios to approach this property once more when every year we get an untold amount of Exorcist-inspired and based films released on cinemas or, and on streaming? Yeah. What is there left for this series to do that hasn't been done in a thousand films since. Is the space for The Exorcist, and as a result, is this something that we should even be trying anymore? Uh, no, no, because I can even picture what they'll try and do with that film as well, because they'll try and do something that's like the original, but they'll miss the point. That's the issue. That film is a, is a time and place lightning-in-a-bottle film. Yes. where you can't replicate those elements again because that 70s documentary style is firmly rooted in that time. You cannot recreate that with today's resources. It's a completely different thing, so don't try it. Don't try yeah. and do it. And in doing so, you're going to lose so much anyway, so why bother? And they're not going to try anything different or new. So no. it's just going to come off as a, as a Xerox copy. Uh, the a original, copy of a copy. Which, <laughs> for all its laudits, the 2018 Halloween was a bit like that. And I think its reputation, I think, has diminished over the years as the sequels have come out and also as the passage of time mm. has uh, come out as well. Because I think the most effective horror films of late have been films that have done their own thing and new, used their own ideas, like all the A24 films and things like that. Yes, yeah. I was thinking this actually earlier on in terms of the A24 films, but the film that's come out since that feels like it could almost work in that world whilst also being something completely different is Hereditary, mm -hmm. but it's Pyman. Which was billed as the new Exorcist. <laughs> yeah, which was billed as the new Exorcist, but yeah, yeah. it's uh, but it's not. It's like it's, no. it's something completely different, but it almost feels like those type of films should be the legacy of the Exorcist, not how can we repackage these scares for a new audience it's a central mistake isn't it that they try and frame it as being a horror film and a horror property but it's not really no and i think that's the mistake they make time and time again because even the uh even though it was retooled the exorcist 3 isn't a horror film oh no in not the traditional all, yeah. sense i mean it's it's fucking terrifying yeah, I mean, that's the thing. <laughs> but, but yeah, you can have a terrifying film that doesn't have to be a horror film. Yeah, yeah. So I just think anytime that you have anything that's trying to repackage or redo something, it's never going to work. No, I would say the even best thing that, like, to do is just to do a new thing with its own unique aesthetic mm -hmm. that works for that film because it's it's being made on its own terms rather than trying to follow anything. Or I think that's the only way to go. But again business so yes. we'll forever be in this in this loop <laughs> yeah we will <laughs> recycle properties i would be far more positive towards the outlook for the exorcist legacy sequel that they're making if i had any inkling that it would be the same type of 
risk that they took when they made Halloween Ends. Because say what you will about those Halloween films, that last one took a huge risk. And for me, I've seen it twice now and it got better the second time around. I actually think I've come around to thinking that's one of the best Halloween sequels, which I know is, is like damning with faint praise. But it's actually come around to being one of the best Halloween sequels because it does something different with the property. But it took them two films of doing the same shit to get to that point. And I, I'm far more positive towards those films than you are. But it's um, it took two films of them doing the Michael Myers show and to get to that point. Yeah, yeah. I don't feel like they're going to be given that kind of freedom with this Exorcist film. No. It's going to be about going back to the beginning, repackaging, and that's what I'm expecting. And that, to me, is far less interesting as an idea. Yeah, it's just it's one of those things that really you shouldn't. Uh, and I think the only reason that Exodus Three works so well is that it's helmed by one of the two main creatives involved in the original film, which is the writer. You know, he knows that material as much as anybody. So yeah, that's the reason. Even though it was retooled and had the exorcism and everything, that works on its own terms because it's trying to it is doing something different with the material but still playing into those themes yeah. and the aesthetic. Whereas all these other films, they just, I don't know, they don't really bear much relationship no. with that. And and I think that's where, like, again, I can only put the beginning above Dominion in, in the fact that it, in its very unambitious, schlocky, early noughties horror ambitions, it's serviceable. Whereas Dominion is just a bit, meandering and it, it just doesn't quite reach the heights that it's looking to get to but yeah very interesting anyway <laughs> but and the main thing that dominion has for it is the fact that because it was made first it has the resources i mean even though it's unfinished it looks more expansive yeah than the beginning which again looks like half of it was shot in a pub car park so <laughs> yeah again the pros and cons but completely different pros and yeah. cons but if you want to watch a shitty midnight movie then the beginning's quite you know a good watch but as a viewing experience if you're not interested in the in the history behind these films i don't think dominion's gonna be i don't think many people are gonna get much out of that film if you're not on no. that wavelength just to put my cards on the table as well before we move on the stats and facts the thing that i've come around to with these films is appreciating both of them for what they are in terms of them being this grand experiment, the, the likes of which we likely will never see in, yeah. in Hollywood history again. The fact that they allowed the Paul Schrader version to be released in and of itself is just amazing. And for that, they will forever remain very interesting films to yeah. look at, regardless of the individual qualities or faults of either film. For me, I do find Dominion to be far more rewarding than the beginning, but it is a film that you have to meet halfway. Yeah, It's certainly not one that you can just put on and enjoy. It is something that you do have to watch within the context. But as you say, I do think it strives to do more. I do think it succeeds in doing more on the character level and in terms of the story level, but it, it's fatally flawed in terms of the horror of the film. And it's just not scary enough. It's not tense enough. It's not thrilling enough. As I say, it's intellectually engaging. It reaches me on an emotional level, but it doesn't do much else, and it did still need work. But when I look at them both and I look at what they did, yes, sure, the beginning did do more with what they aimed for, the ambitions of it, but 
again, the ambitions were Rennie Harlan doing an Exorcist film. Yeah. <laughs> which, yeah. they're both varying degrees of flawed, yeah. either way. And props to them for completely fucking up the last shot of the film. Because that is, considering where they shot the film anyway, which is at Cinecetta in Rome, the fact that they couldn't film in front of the Vatican, and it has that weird moving green screen shot. Yeah. And it's so badly done. (laughs) May as well just cut to a a B-roll of the Vatican and not have anyone walk in front of it. It suddenly looks like um, Attack of the Clones when... Obi-Wan goes to the library. Oh, it's, it's almost like room level. Oh, God, it is. That's exactly what it is. It's like rooftop room level. Yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's what Tommy Wiseau saw. He saw that shot and was like, guys, I've got the look for my film. <laughs> <laughs> I've nailed, I've got it. This is what we're doing. Yeah. It's just, again, very interesting watch. But again, both films are just more curios than anything else. Yes. Yeah, I would say so, yeah. So moving over to the stats and facts, we've already talked about them to varying degrees, but let's begin with the beginning. So we're going from release order. The beginning has a 10% tomato meter reading on Rotten Tomatoes, and that is with 134 reviews. Yeah. (laughs) The critic consensus is that it's a mediocre, gory horror film, nowhere near the quality of the 1973 original, which is a big ask even for then. The... Review that I have is from... I looked for one from Roger Ebert. He did say that it wasn't... Of the two versions that he saw, the Paul Schrader version was far better, and I have a review for that later. But there was no official review from Ebert, so I've gone with Empire Ian Nathan. And he says, If Schrader's problem was restraint, then Harlan goes for broke with a murky, baroque atmosphere closer in texture to a Marilyn Manson video than William Friedkin's much-vaunted original. Cue a monstrous mishmash of rotten and rotting cliches, including blood-smeared walls, inverse crucifixes, slavering hyenas, and rattling bedsteads. Harlan does achieve some arresting images amid the maggoty excess, and there is a, a suitably pestilent array of vile going-ons. And he did give that film two out of five. The audience also reacted rather negatively. It has a 27% rating audience score on Rotten Tomatoes with a 2.5 out of 5 average rating, which is actually quite low for what we've covered on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. The IMDb score is 5.1, which I would say will be curious to compare to Dominion, surely. (laughs) Now, as we've mentioned, the budget for the film overall is... um, uh, was it like 90 million in the end or 80 million? Yeah, I mean, the budget on its own was 50, but then if you combine it with Dominion, it's 90 odd. So the beginning opened on the 20th of August 2004. It opened at number one, quite shockingly, <laughs> with $18 million. At number two, we have Without a Paddle. At number three, we have The Princess Diaries 2 Royal Engagement. At number four is the old classic Alien vs Predator which saw a near 70% drop from its first week yeah um, we have number 5 Open Water number 6 is Collateral number 7 is The Born Supremacy which is probably the film that Gabriel Mann had to leave production for we have number 8 The Manchurian Candidate number 9 is The Village and number 10 is another classic Yu-Gi-Oh! The Movie Pyramid of Light <laughs> <laughs> 
So, and overall, the film made, well, it made $41 million at the domestic box office and $78 million worldwide. So, it was deemed something of a flop, um, despite opening at number one. Yeah, I mean, no wonder that opened at number one, given that top five. Yes, yeah. Yeah, that's a, a not a strong... We, I mean, that's like the the back end of summer, isn't it? So um, yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, a lot of those films, especially the ones in the lower reaches, which are good, they've already done their run. So that's just like the end of their theatrical trajectory. Yeah, exactly. The Born Supremacy had been out for five weeks. Yeah, Manchurian Candidate had also been out for five weeks as well. So yeah, I mean, even The Village had been out for four weeks, so made yeah. over a hundred million. So yeah, we are definitely leaning out of that summer period at this point. That's a very fruity period in film history. <laughs> it is. It is. But moving over to Dominion, the prequel to The Exorcist. Again, this film was released differently. It was released direct to DVD. It did have a very limited run, more of like a festival showing kind of thing. Yeah. So I do expect that some of these figures will be different in comparison. The Tomato Meter reading, so this prestige film only ended up with a 29% tomato meter reading and that's after 45 reviews um, the critical consensus is that while director schrader's attempt at literature internal exposition on evil temptations and human sin is admirable this prequel suffers from hit and miss psychological tension poor visual effects and weak writing an over ambitious failure of a horror movie and the critics gave it a 4.8 out of 10 average rating as well. And that is comparison to the 3.6 out of 10 average rating that Exorcist the Beginning received. So still not that much difference really in, yeah, yeah. in that regard. Roger Ebert, I do have a review from him. And I did try and pick a part that really kind of summed up my opinion of or my evolved viewpoint of these two films. So he says, what is fascinating from a movie bus point of view is that the movie has been filmed twice in different ways by different directors. Maybe this is what Gus Van Sant was getting at when he inexplicably did his almost shot-by-shot remake of Hitchcock's Psycho. Film students are often given a series of shots and assigned to edit them to tell a story. They can fit together in countless ways to greater or lesser effect. Here we have the experiment conducted with $80 million dollars, it's eerie to see the same locations occupied by different actors speaking similar dialogue. It's odd to see the young priest and the doctor occupying the same rooms but played by different people. Strange to see Skarsgård in both versions, some shots and dialogue exactly the same, others not. It's curious how the subplot about the British shrinks in the Harlem version while the horror is ramped up. I prefer the Schrader version, certainly, but you know what? Now that two versions exist and are available... Each one makes the other more interesting. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah, that's a really good write-up. <laughs> yeah. And he did give Dominion three out of four, but it seems like he's reviewing more of the general experience of having these two films, of having such curios for film fans like ourselves. Yeah. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Like, these are valuable films to me now, despite one of them particularly not being very good and one of them being a very flawed character study yeah they somehow make each other better by being in comparison because they're far more interesting yeah because i think without the context that dominion gives it that the exorcist the beginning will be even more anonymous and not yeah, interesting yeah, yeah. at all whereas i think the thing that makes beginning interesting is like what choices they made given that initial film what choices where they chose to go down makes that film 
way more interesting than it has any right to be. Yeah, it definitely is a, a good write-up because that hits the nail on the head why these films are interesting in of yeah. themselves. So, yeah. Absolutely. The audience score has a 25% rating and that's a 2.5 out of 5 average rating, which is exactly the same as the beginning and also exactly the same as beginning. It has an IMDb score of 5.1 out of 10. So, after all of this, really, I know that this is an unfinished version of the film, but after yeah. all of that, it has a very kind of like similar reaction, probably for different reasons entirely, from audiences to these films. Yeah, there's probably another dimension somewhere where they could work out the reshoots and the Dominion version was finished with maybe some stuff being retooled. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, that probably would have been the best way forward, but unfortunately it didn't work out that way. Yeah. How can God let us live in a world where we have like five versions of Oliver Stone's Alexander, <laughs> yeah. but we don't have a finished version of Dominion? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think there's going to be much call for it. I mean, no, there isn't at all. With Alexander, I don't even know. Who put the money up for that? Seriously, why are there so many versions of that film? Who put the money up Oliver for that? Oliver Stone Productions? Yeah. <laughs> That's a weird... We, it's we've a strange do, one that yeah. there's been so many different versions, so many different releases. I'll, I say, we've got to do that, but I can't. I don't have the time to do that. Jesus. Uh, yeah. Where do we even start? I'd take a whole week just to go through all the versions of that film. It's like three and a half hours at its longest and like two and a half hours at its shortest and there's three or four versions of it. Yeah. I would like to do it, but that's a special for somewhere down the line. Yeah. <laughs> for like about three or four listeners. Yeah. <laughs> Who is watching that to necessitate... Is that really such a moneymaker that studios are like Oliver? Oliver. As if you call him Oliver, his first name. Mr. Stone. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's been ten years. We need you to do another version of Alexander. We need to get money from this. We're, we made so much on the previous releases. It's like, and you won't get this, but it's like the Skyrim of the fucking movie world. And Skyrim is a, is a game that's been released on like, every time there's a new console, it's like, hey, we're making Skyrim again, even though it's been like 15 years, 20 years since it released. Yeah. I just envision a, a situation of Oliver Stone waking up at night going, ah, I know what I did wrong this time. And then goes to his computer, <laughs> opens up his Avid and starts tinkering again. And then it's like, hey, I've got this new version. I knew what I did wrong this time. Of course he opens up Avid. And then three years later, oh, I know what I did wrong. Yeah. <laughs> there are three cuts that I forgot about. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that's a very strange one. But yeah, I would say with these films, I've already really said my piece, but yeah, they definitely are an interesting pair and for anybody out there that is looking for a, a peek behind the curtain of big budget filmmaking well big budget mid-budget filmmaking yeah to see just the goings on and what happens behind the scenes and whenever you hear about like directors coming and going on projects these two films really paint a good picture of what happens behind the scenes there yeah you can fill in the blanks yourself yeah definitely Okay, and that's all we have time for on this horror-themed episode of the show. Join us next time where we'll be hanging out with Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Al Pacino as we take on Martin Scorsese's The Irishman, a film curiously not starring any Irishman. <laughs> not one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's also about 14 hours long. Yeah. So um, I'd say if you're looking forward to watching this, start watching it now. And you should have finished it by the time that the episode releases. 
But until then, I've been Gareth. Oh, what have you done to my fucking face? <laughs> <laughs> and Andy's been Alan Ford. Thanks for listening. <laughs>